This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Keep your whole home running like clockwork. From the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet, you'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. GEICO gets you access to licensed agents 24-7, which means that GEICO is always there for you. If only everyone was always there for you. Like your mom, when you fill out really, really important paperwork on the first day of a new job. Name, check, birthday, social security, is that a thing? Hey, mom, what is my social security number? Mom, mom, mom. Okay, let's guess. Uh, 0017. Oh, Gemini. Hashtag. Done. Geico. Always there for you with savings and 24-7 access to licensed agents. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you. We are recording this on Monday, November 11th. So you are probably hearing it on Tuesday, the 12th. I hope your off-season is going well. We are still devoid of any real news, but there is still Cubs stuff to talk about. David Ross's coaching staff is taking shape. We're hearing rumors all over the place. So we will talk about some of that and anything else going on in the world of the Chicago Cubs. And Brendan, I want to start, I want to get things going right away by reading this quote from Theo Epstein on trade rumors specifically. Theo giving us some some real fodder to work with in this uh, early off-season action. So Theo says, quote, we are not going to contribute to this environment where there's this hysteria about a certain player on a mm. given day, and it turns out not to happen, and the next day, it's on to the next player who's definitely going to get moved, end quote. So, Brendan, I want to start right off on this podcast by digging into this hysteria. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, we we listened to Theo Epstein on this podcast. Un- understood, boss. We're, we're not going to uh, hype up any hysteria. We are going to talk about some of these rumors, and, and I think maybe Theo would approve of the way we plan to talk about it because really what we want to do, and it's uh, partially inspired by uh, a good post from Brett Taylor at Bleacher Nation that he put out today on Monday, uh, specifically about Wilson Contreras, but just talking about why certain guys show up in these rumors more than others and why we don't necessarily need to lose our minds every time we hear certain names because they make more sense than other people in a realistic way of looking at things. But first, Brendan, I I did want to, we haven't talked about this at all on this podcast, and I I feel like we're doing a disservice to not only ourselves and our listeners by not at least just mentioning this. And that is that 
throughout this offseason, and, and he sort of began this during the 2019 season, especially in that second half, and you, Brendan, know this firsthand, as, as you were one of the early uh, interactions to kind of get this ball rolling, really. Mm-hmm. You could say you were a trendsetter I am the regard. pioneer, Corey. I will, yes. I will gladly accept that. But what I am referring to is that, uh, uh, you know, the, the throne has been ascended in this offseason in particular. Mm-hmm. And the throne I am referring to is that of the Twitter king of the Chicago Cubs. You. And he's he's gunning for Instagram, too. I'm not going to give that up from Pedro Strope just yet, who's technically not a Cub at the moment. But that's a nuance I don't care he's to get into right now. He's a Cub for life, Corey. Come he's on. a Cub for life. For life. But, uh, but regardless, you Darvish is the king of Twitter and it's really not close. Yep. And he has he he went at Justin Verlander. I think we all saw that. He waited, I think it was five hundred and twenty two days to come back at Verlander who had tweeted about to at him about an unathletic looking play that Darvish did. And then when Verlander threw the ball into his own leg in these past playoffs, Darvish was ready. He had the tweets ready. He had saved the receipts and he went after him. We have seen in, in, in the days since, we have seen you, Darvish, go at Anthony Rizzo multiple times. That is a, a budding duo that I didn't know I was so here for, but I am here <laughs> for. Uh, and it, it, it really seems like nobody is safe from you Darvish and you know we the, the whole fried chicken thing that we saw earlier this this off season he's really coming to his own and I, I just wanted to acknowledge it we need to acknowledge that Brennan that we have a new Twitter king and it's you Darvish and I think I was the first person to be called out by you not in like a like a mad or mean way but I you know, I was tweeting about you Darvish I think in May and many of you have heard this story, but I tweeted out this gif of you Darvish's two-seam fastball. I thought it was a two-seam fastball. You Darvish corrected me. It was his splitter. It was 93 miles per hour. I was blown away that that pitch was actually a splitter. You Darvish retweeted that. I kid you not, Corey. I got a quarter million views on that video within 24 hours. Then he went along and he retweeted many other people, including you, and, and I think he responded to Evan a few days ago. I got to say, you, Darvish, might be Cubs Insider's favorite guy, favorite player on the team right now, at least on Twitter. He interacts with us all the time. You know you, Darvish, loves us. Yeah, he, he is definitely a friend of the podcast, and it's it's been really fun. And I think he likes me the best, by the way. Just just saying, you I, and I— I mean, we, he does follow you. I we've mean, there's had really some no heart, way to argue We've this. had some heart-to-hearts. Uh, I'm not going to disclose anything on here, but we've had some heart-to-hearts. I think you, Darvish, is a very close friend of mine. And it's, I, it's an interesting choice from you, but I, I get it. From, from I Darvish, it. He not likes from to me, dig from, into the numbers. Yeah. You dig into the numbers. Yeah. I, I can see where this where this. You know, I was writing from. about you, Darvish, in a Cubs context before he was even a Cub. I swear to God. I think I wrote yeah. about you, Darvish, months before he was signed as a possibility and, and I, why I was a I little heard, concerned about that. Yeah. I heard that you were actually—you, yeah. Y-O-U, yeah. were yeah. actually yeah. part of the reason that he signed with the Cubs in the first place. Well, he he wanted smart. to be covered by— Brendan Miller. Well, you know, a lot of people probably do. And, uh, you know, I do him justice. So not a bad idea. Good job, you. But he's just been on fire. I mean, the stuff with Anthony Rizzo is so funny 
And, you know, he's posting daily YouTube content now. He, I like I that. said, he's delving into Instagram a little bit. And it's a lot of fun. And and we, I, I've tweeted a couple things from the Cubs Insider handle, at Real Cubs Insider on Twitter. And he's retweeted a couple things or liked a couple things. And every time now, I get kind of scared when I see his name <laughs> and the blue check mark in our notifications because I'm worried that he had some unreal comeback that I'm going to be, you know, dragged for, right? But it's it's only been positive stuff. <laughs> uh, luckily, he's he's not giving me the, the same treatment as Rizzo, who is uh, target number one, apparently. But just the the humor aside, Brendan, like it does coincide with what we've seen from him on the field and in a lot of these interviews. Like it really seems like he's quite comfortable in a Chicago Cubs uniform yeah. with these teammates and just in the space that he is in. And when you kind of look at how that has, from the outside looking in, of course, but how it's looked from a personal standpoint for you, it really directly coincides with his performance. Like as yeah. he's performed better on the field, he has seemed, at least to an outsider, more comfortable, more open, more conversational, having a little more fun on social media. And so I think when you see this from him in an off season like this, y- you should be confident as a fan and I think excited as a fan. This guy feels good. He feels comfortable here. He feels comfortable with this team, with this environment, with this city. And I think that that can only mean good things for the the future of his time as a Chicago Cub. When you, Darvish, he also, not like legitimately, but went after some guys in the Chicago media towards the end of the season, not even towards the end of it. I want to say even in August, maybe late July, before his numbers actually looked like top tier numbers. So I would argue that the the whole attitude, the persona started before the numbers caught up, which I think is a good sign. I mean, he went after Jesse Rogers, uh, not just Rogers, uh, David Kaplan. And well, he did that fiasco. the other day too. Yeah, and he, keep, and he keeps doing it. There's so many examples now you forget who he went after. But that was like for, for me, that's what I loved about you, Darvish, the most was he was able to handle all the criticism, and he's been doing that his entire career. When he was first brought over um, by the Rangers in, from Japan, like that's a very specific, nuanced environment for someone who's not familiar with America, and he handled it exceptionally. So it's no surprise to me that through some hardships in Los Angeles, through some hardships early on in Chicago, he's overcome it. That is the definition, Corey, of mental toughness. So when you and I went on this podcast in 2018, some early parts of 2019 in this season, like we were pissed off that he was being called out for what seemed to be an unfair criticism of mental incompetency. That's that's not who you Darvish is. It's not who he has been. This guy has consistently throughout his career has transformed his game, has transformed his interactions with fans, with the media, overcome several hardships to his benefit. And yes, Corey, as a fan going into 2020, absent of any injury, any health concerns, if you Darvish is the same guy that we saw for three and a half months, he's a top 10 starter. He's a top five starter. He's one of the nastiest pitchers in the game. So absolutely, the attitude, the performance coinciding does give me an enormous amount of confidence. 
Yes. So the moral of the story there is that we stan our Twitter king. Yes, we do. And I, you know, I think fair warning to Pedro Strope that the the Instagram crown is up for grabs and you wants it, it seems. He posted that video of him mimicking Anthony Rizzo's swing on Instagram. So that's yeah. kind of a, but, a Corey, direct I don't know, shot. Some of those police stroke pictures that he puts out. Like oh, the, it's not gonna be an easy crown. I to mean grab. it's gonna take I, I some mean, time. Some of those I pictures been, of stroke. I've been telling y'all for years. Yeah, I've been telling you guys for years that Pedro Strope is one of the best follows on Instagram, not just on the Cubs, yeah. not just in baseball, but just like in general. Plus, I mean, you know, we exchange DMs by we, I mean you and him, but you know, he's, yeah. he's a loyal friend of the podcast. Two friends of the podcast battling it out for content supremacy is, is just fine with me. But moving on to uh, actual news and, and stuff going on with the Chicago Cubs, we have a couple coaching announcements to discuss as David Ross's uh, staff starts to take shape. And, you know, I think the big one, Brendan, is that Andy Green, the former manager of the San Diego Padres, is going to be David Ross's bench coach. And we had talked about getting someone with experience. And obviously things didn't go great for Andy in San Diego, but that was kind of a tricky proposition for him in the first place. He wasn't really set up for success there. Uh, But they do get someone that has managerial experience. And I I think you might have referenced this. I I don't remember if it was online or in one of our conversations, but there's a lot of youth to this coaching staff, which I yes. think is is kind of Love exciting. It. Will Venable is going to be back. That came across on the Newswire today. So a couple positions still left to be filled, uh, but the, the staff is taking shape. There, there's a lot of youth here. Hadavi, Iaposi, uh, now Andy Green, and it's it's beginning to take shape here. So I, I don't know if uh, you have any super strong opinions on on Andy Green or, or anything like that. But, but we are getting a clearer picture of what's going to go on with the Cubs coaching staff here. I, I do like the Andy Green hire. You know, he is a bench coach, so that's just a preface right there. And I saw some people even questioning why the Cubs would hire Andy Green, given how things went down in San Diego. But like, let's think about what Andy Green brings. One, he's a very young former manager. He was a rookie manager, one of the youngest guys in the league to take that position with San Diego. Sounds similar to what David Ross is doing on a bigger market scale. A young 42-year-old manager and David Ross taking on the reins of this franchise. And Green has had multiple years of this type of experience. So I feel as if Ross can lean on Andy Green, whether it's for game decisions or just the everyday lifestyle that is being a manager. Now, Ross is going to run his team the way he wants to run it. But I do think having both youth and experience in Andy Green is a rare position. Like not many guys in the league, if anyone in the league has that combination and seeing Andy Green and David Ross and Iaposi and Hadevi and Will Venable, like this is one of the youngest coaching staffs in baseball. And when you combine that type of youth, and the reason I like the youth is because those guys have been part of this new wave that we're seeing the Astros utilize, this new, you know, stack cast centric 
positional player development type tool. And we're seeing guys like Craig Breslow working with Tommy Hadovy. Breslow now the new pitching director. We have Justin Stone, the Cubs' new hitting director. You know, he and Iaposi will be working, or rather, yeah, Iaposi will be working together. So I like this connection. It's not just the fact that they're young. I'm not going to like discriminate against older coaches, but the reason I like these young coaches is because they've showed the ability to incorporate what's been working with this new type of data. And I I really do like that. I'm interested to see how that's going to pan out with that type of authority over the course of next season. Yeah, and and just to note on, on the side of someone who isn't necessarily in this super young group, but one of, I think, the most important pieces of news that we got over the last week was that Mike Barzello will remain on David Ross's coaching staff. Yeah. And that is very important. Uh, Borzello is really smart and a really great baseball guy. And I, I think, I, you know, I don't know the, you know, I'm not in those conversations. I don't know if he was someone that Joe Madden was targeting or, or that was in danger of leaving. I have no idea. But when there, when there was obviously the potential for turnover, he was one of the names that I was most concerned about right. uh, whether or not the Cubs would be able to keep him because he is just one of those guys you want in your dugout. Uh, he He's uh, a multifaceted guy. He helps with pitching, catching, general strategy. And, you know, he, he obviously has um, some significant contributions to this team over the last few years that, that we've heard so much about. Right. And I'm very glad that he he will be back in the fold for this team. He is also, uh, and I think I pointed this out on Twitter, he is also easily the best gift Cubs coach. He has some really incredible gifts that have the come up. His reactions, reaction ones, yeah, yeah, those are the best. His, his, his reactions to certain things are really animated and really funny. That's obviously not his primary value to the team, but it never hurts. I mean, we are, you know, like we were just talking about, we are here for the content. So, uh in both facets, uh, Borzello is is providing that. So that was good news. So there's still a couple positions left to fill. I, I don't necessarily expect uh, any crazy excitement here, but good to see this taking shape. And, and as we really head into this offseason in earnest, getting the GM meetings going on now, the winter meetings coming up shortly, good that, you know, we're kind of getting this infrastructure in place and, and Theo in the front office can start to focus on building their roster and and finishing off some of those infrastructure changes, which include, you like that transition, Brendan? I do. Uh, Include Scott Harris, who was the Cubs assistant general manager and has been part of this front office for several years now. He is now the general manager of the San Francisco Giants. He is one of those names who's come up in, uh, you know, I think a lot of those, if you read any of those from The Athletic or any outlets like that, uh, future GMs, names to watch in, in GM searches and stuff. Scott has been one of those guys that has come up, I think, pretty frequently in those, and he is getting his shot. So it's it's hard to say, uh, you know, you can certainly read a lot of these things. I mean, he was an assistant general manager, so obviously someone that was important in the Cubs infrastructure for their front office and involved at the highest level in a lot of these transactions, discussions, etc. But one of those things where it's hard to exactly pinpoint, uh, you know, how, how important someone is or, you know, whether this is a, a devastating loss. But I think it is good in the sense that we, you know, this whole organization needed some shakeup. And we talked about this all throughout the season and into the offseason that we could not just 
put all of this at Joe Madden's feet or put all of this at the players' feet or Tom Ricketts feet or whoever. It had to be a everybody is included in the Cubs not making the playoffs and and needing to be better. And that included the front office. So some of the decisions that they have made, obviously, you know, for example, moving Jason McLeod to a, a different position amongst other names in the front office, that is of Theo and, and his group's own volition. Uh, Scott Harris being poached away is not necessarily something that they chose or, or had, you know, a, a say in other than encouraging him to succeed you know, with a different team. But I think change is good. I think change is what this group was was looking for. And it's not necessarily just change for the sake of change. I think some of the, the messages, the processes, etc., clearly got stale. And whether it's by choice or a little bit by force, I think a shakeup and, and getting new voices, and, and maybe this gives them a chance to promote different people to different positions and, and try different things. I, I think it's I think it's ultimately going to be a good thing for this organization. What surprised me most about the, uh, the Scott Harris signing was that he trumped uh, Jason McLeod to a degree. Like McLeod is the one who interviewed with the Giants a year ago. And we've heard McLeod's name across Major League Baseball for years now as a potential general manager candidate. And we've seen his profile possibly take a hit over the last two years because the Cubs have not been able to develop pitching and two, have not been able to develop and translate mid-tier draft picks. Outside of those first rounders, the Cubs have not had any significant contributors outside of David Bodie. And that does squall, uh, you know, fall squarely on Jason McLeod's system. So what do the Cubs do? They move him out from that scouting director role into a more player personnel major league role. I think that does reflect not only on McLeod's not inability, but more so on a changing game. So the Cubs want to get new voices into that scouting development type role. You move McLeod, who's still a useful executive, into a more major league role. But the point is, McLeod's standing in Major League Baseball is not what it used to be. To have a 32-year-old candidate in Scott Harris get the job over McLeod, who was interviewing and been rumored with the Giants for years, is surprising to me, and it does suggest that there's not this you know, outstanding reputation of McLeod as there once was, and that's also highlighted by Theo's desire to move him out of that role. So that, that was my first takeaway. And seeing Scott Harris get that job, again, he's 32 years old, he was a significant part of that front office. I remember seeing Scott Harris years ago, when Theo first you know, compiled this front office. And at the time, Scott Harris was hired as a 25-year-old guy who was part of that scouting infrastructure. I remember seeing Scott Harris in you know, spring training thinking, who the hell is this guy? Like He's like our age, Corey. And it was weird to see someone that young with Theo, with Jed, with Jason on the field would seem to be all the time. And I remember too, when I was watching these AFL games or when I was watching some spring training games, you know, dating back then when the Cubs used to do intra squad games in 2012, 2013, like I would be right next to Scott Harris. He would just be sitting, you know, like a, like a fan, so to speak, without any attention whatsoever. So it, it's bizarre to me to see someone like Harris, who's still so young, get that call right away and go and bypass Jason McLeod, who's been one of the, you know, one of the pieces of this trinity of this front office over the years. So it's cool, but 
the Cubs will have to fill his shoes somehow. And there are opportunities for younger guys and new blood to get in there and, and make a difference for this team. Getting back to the comments from Theo that I read to start this podcast, I do want to delve into just the general rumor season. And I think you guys know, because I don't think we've ever done it. Uh, Brendan and I don't really like to live and deal in hypotheticals. I would venture to guess, Brendan, that the amount of hypothetical trades and, you know, what would you want for this guy— proposals that have come across these airwaves is zero. I I don't know that that's ever happened on this podcast. It's really not how you or I operate. Uh, So I, I, maybe it's happened before, but probably not. Um, And so we're not going to do that. Uh, If you're looking for trade proposals and stuff like that, that is not going to be, we are not the podcast for you. Uh, But what I do want to talk about is just this this rumor season and and why certain guys come up versus others like i said uh Brett Taylor with a good piece about Wilson Contreras specifically over at Bleacher Nation today and just like i, I guess i want to start by the, the the amount of like freaking out that seems to happen when any guy shows up in these rumors is interesting to me it's a little odd um and I get it. We, we all fall in love with these guys. Some of the guys that, you know, like if they traded Chris Bryant, even if I believed it was the best thing the Cubs organization have ever done for their long-term success, I would be gutted. Gutted, right? But any time, I mean, a lot of this is just rumors. Think of how many rumors we have heard over the years, and this is what Theo's alluding to, right? And nothing ever happens. Brian Roberts was never a Chicago Cub. Jake Peavy was never a Chicago Cub. But I can't tell you, and you, you know, you and I are almost the same age, Brendan. Uh, not that 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 matters, but th- this was kind of the formative years of our Cubs obsession. These were the predominant rumors, is why I say that. Brian um, Roberts, Jake those guys Peavy were never Cubs, day. and I and I can't tell you how many articles and posts and and things that I read about both of those guys coming to the Cubs and how sure of a thing it was and here was the package and this, that, and the other. <laughs> so I, I I understand where it comes from, but we got to remember that a lot of this stuff is never going to happen, right? If it did, Javi Baez would be an Atlanta Brave, right? Remember that? Like that never happened. For uh, um, Shelby Miller? Oh my God. I believe that's what it, it was. was. Yeah. Shelby Miller. Thank God that never happened. Although I think we've gotten that wrong before, didn't we? And then no. it was like a Rodis Vizcaino or no. it wasn't. Well, no, we I, messed up. Yeah, it was the a different trace. trace. This is why we don't work in hypotheticals. This it's is the perfect true. example. We can't even remember what these fake <laughs> exactly. rumors were. Uh, Regardless, you guys know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I would just say like caution, like there's going to be a lot of rumors, especially with where the Cubs are. Are. And and I kind of brought up this convert this comparison either last week or two weeks ago, where like when we went into the offseason before the 2016 season, which ultimately ended with the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. They did win the World uh, Series. For those correct, of you yes. who don't remember. Yep, yep. But I, I brought up this comparison where like we knew what that team needed. It was very clear, it was very specific, and aside from a few spots on that roster, it was pretty set in stone who was going to be playing for that team save for a couple things that they they could afford to clean up, which they did, right? Like, but this offseason is so different. And when we go from the team didn't make the playoffs, they finished behind the Brewers, they finished behind the Cardinals, 
and you know it's just a, sort of an unmitigated disaster of, of of different proportions like it's very different than when you're heading into feeling like you are ready to be a championship contender you just need a couple tweaks and so what comes with that and and I guess why the freaking out is is a little weird to me is the, like you don't want them to run out the same team right that just didn't make the playoffs I I, I don't right. think I don't think anybody's interested in that right right yeah. okay so they have to change some things right like so I, I guess I, I guess I, I just sort of get taken aback by not that there's concern about guys being traded but that the level of like panic when certain names come up because there's only one direction to go right like they have to do something different and there's only a certain number of guys on the roster so that only leaves them with a certain number of options to accomplish that and again like I said certain guys being traded from this team would destroy me I would be an emotional mess thinking about it, seeing these guys in different uniforms, etc. But this is the reality of where we are. This was not a good team last year, and it did not live up to the standard and the expectation that this organization has set for themselves, which means we have to be prepared for change. I just don't see any other way of looking at it, Brendan. Did you know Geico's now offering an extra 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies? That's 15% on top of what Geico could already save you. So what are you waiting for? Your dentist to actually believe you? And you're flossing every day. Absolutely. Great. Um, And you're cutting down on your sweets? Of course. (laughs) Wonderful then I don't even need to look in there. Great. See you in six months. There's never been a better time to switch to GEICO. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Limitations apply. Visit GEICO.com for details. Little did I know when I joined Kaiser Permanente that it would be on my top 10 list for what has made this year great. I can see my physician. I can be referred to the lab. I can then be referred to the pharmacy all in the same building. You, you've got it all. I mean, it's it's quality of care, it's compassion of care, it's convenience of care. It's true. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan of the Mid Atlantic States, two one zero one East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland two zero eight five two. Yeah, and so Theo Epstein said today after day one of the GM meetings, "quote This was coming. It's not like it was going to be one generation of players, and that's it. We knew when a lot of our best players were cost controlled; those were the years we could squeeze the most amount of talent on the roster, and there would be difficult decisions and change ahead at some point. We're just rapidly approaching that time. That's all." End quote. And here's one. And I do think it's a misconception that when we hear names like Wilson Contreras being mentioned in trade rumors or in some crazy ones with Chris Bryant, if those guys are being discussed, they're not going to punt 2020 at all. I mean, we look at where they are in the payroll right now. They're already the second most committed team for 2020 against the luxury tax. We said this last podcast, they were the second highest payroll in Major League Baseball last year. Many of those guys, yeah, they're getting more expensive in arbitration, but you have to move a lot of pieces away to make this team not a contender. Like even losing someone like Wilson Contreras, you have formidable options 
even though they're not possibly better than Wilson, still formidable options where the team's going to compete. They're not going to punch 2020 at at all. There's no reason to believe they are going to try to get underneath the luxury tax, Corey. If they do that, then we have a problem. A hundred percent, we have a problem. But for them to lose and trade away salary for the sake of trading away salary, then we're not talking about just trading Wilson Contreras. We're talking about trading everyone. We're talking about trading Rizzo and Contreras and Bryant and Baez if the goal ultimately is to get underneath the luxury tax. That's not going to happen. Like What I think is going to happen realistically is we're going to try to extend this win window, which they should, while still maximizing and improving in 2020. And guess what? Those are not mutually exclusive scenarios. You can still improve in 2020 while still looking out for the best in years beyond. And I think one reason why Contreras' name does make the most sense for those two goals is because Contreras, his value, Corey, around this league is extraordinarily high because his his arbitration is only in year one. He's only going to make $6 million. And yeah, that's a plus for the Cubs. But if you can get back a package that addresses your outfield needs, or you can get back a, a, back a package of guys who could be immediate impact players this year and next year and for three, four, five years beyond at a good price... That makes sense because you're not only going to get better for next year, but you're going to improve and extend your win window. And let's say the the replacement for Contreras is someone like a Victor Caratini, or maybe the Cubs go out and they do clear a payroll and they sign Yasmani Grandal or whatever they end up doing. There is an inherent risk to it, and I totally understand it. But if we're looking not just at 2020, but we're looking at years beyond, and we ask ourselves a question, if we lose Wilson Contreras in 2020, is that going to hurt the team? And the, the answer is, like, probably not that much if you can get back and fill that value while also supplementing what you get in return from Contreras elsewhere. And I do think there is an argument to explore that trade. Now, trading Chris Bryant and getting rid of his potentially $18 million, that's that's difficult, Corey. And I'll throw it back to you in a little bit. But here's why I think that Bryant trading him is more difficult, difficult than Contreras. Anthony Rendon is going to be on the open market. He's going to get $30 million at least per year. Okay. Now imagine you're a team looking for a third baseman, and you're looking at Chris Bryant. You're looking at looking at Anthony Rendon. You're going to pay Rendon thirty million. You're going to pay Chris Bryant eighteen million in 2020, and then probably 22, 23, 24 in 2021. Not only will you have to pay Chris Bryant almost twenty million per year that goes against your luxury tax and your payroll, but now you have to give up a package of almost equal positional value to the Cubs, whether that's in terms of prospects, equity, in terms of other position player equity. That's a big ask. You're asking a team to pay $20 million per year while giving you your best young controllable assets. Why would they do that? Why not pony up, spend the extra $10 million, and just get Anthony Rendon while you keep your young controllable assets? It makes, and, and that's one reason why I think it's going to be hard for the Cubs to line up a Chris Bryant trade. It's not that he's not valuable, it's the fact that other teams look at other options available 
available, and those probably make more sense for their needs. Now, for Contreras, he is cheap. Catching is more of a scarcity, and I feel as if more teams are willing to part with, let's say, outfielders or pitchers or positions of surplus to make that happen, to give the Cubs what they want so they can compete in 2020 and years beyond. It's not that, hey, I hate Wilson Contreras. I, I, I would love to have Wilson back in 2020, but if there are scenarios where it makes sense to be good and better in 2020 while extending your win window, why the hell would you not look at that? Yeah, I think that's a, an important point to make like no I don't want to trade Wilson Contreras right like I, I don't think anybody wants to do that nobody I wants mean, to best trade offensive Chris Bryant. for a catcher there's no doubt about that but there is a degree of like huh maybe this does make the most sense right and you know we we say this all the time but like Wilson is one of those guys who and I I usually mean this quite literally like he will die on that field for the Chicago Cubs and for all of us fans he really would and I believe that so, like, I love the guy. Nobody wants to do any of this. I wish that all of the players I liked were on the team and the team won 110 games a year. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened last year, right? And it's not what happened the year before. So it also is worth mentioning, right? Like, the reason that that certain names pop up, and, and, and they're different, right? Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras are, are very different in terms of what their perceived value might be or why they come up in these things. But part of the reason that you hear certain names over others is you look at someone like Anthony Rizzo, right? Yeah. Like, he's just, it's it's different. He's not as young, he's not as cheap, and he's also the face of the franchise, the captain of the team, whichever one you you feel like calling him, right? Like trading him is different than trading Wilson Contreras, right? And you look at other guys on the complete opposite of the spectrum, right? Like you're not going to get anything for Addison Russell. You're not going to get anything for Albert Almora. Trading those guys doesn't do anything other and than get rid of You can make the same argument too, Corey, for Schwarber despite his strong second half and Ian Happ. The fact is those guys' struggles over the years are going to deflate the value you get back in return. Whether you are high right. on him or low on him, it doesn't matter. The market for those guys are not going to get what Theo wants. Right. And and again, like all of these are very different. I mean, each single name is is a different case. So when we're throwing those guys out there, it's not to like say that Almora and Schwarber have equal trade value. It, we're, we're just lumping them in in terms of guys who you can't just say, okay, we're keeping all the good players, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant, like, you know, the, the clearly like top players on the team. We just want to trade the guys below that, right? That's not going to make the team better. That is not going to fix the the issues that this team had. The the only way to do that if you're not just going to go out and spend a truckload of money on certain free agents and stuff is to trade good players. Like that's yeah. that's just the option that you're left with. I I desperately wish that the Cubs could trade Albert Almora for a haul of prospects that would just freshen up that system and and give them a you know new names in that pipeline for years to come. That's not going to happen. They're not going to get anything of value for someone like Albert. Almora. 
Kamara, right? Like, so you have to deal in these other players, and then you start getting into those conversations. Does it, is it going to be easier and more productive to trade someone like Wilson Contreras with his contract status, with his youth, with where he is, and, and where he fits in this Cubs organization, or is it going to be easier to trade Javi Baez, right? And the answer is Wilson Contreras. So this is where you're left with, and this is why certain guys pop up more than others. You can even bring in some of these veterans to this conversation just as a comparison. Like, do you think that it's going to be easy for the Cubs to trade someone like John Lester, for example, as blasphemous as a statement as that, you know, that is, but I, I, I bring it up as an example of he's got a lot of money that you would ask a team to take on. He didn't have his best second half. What are you going to get back for him? with one year left on that contract that is going to greatly improve the status of this organization? Or does John Lester have more value to you as a reliable veteran, huge clubhouse presence, and a legend of your franchise in keeping him rather than trading him for not what the market value is to you? So that is where you are left with these certain names. And I think it's just important to remember that because I, and again, I get it. Like, I love Wilson Contreras. Chris Bryant is one of my favorite all-time Cubs. He's one of the best Cubs in franchise history. It would destroy me to watch him play in another uniform, whether it was via trade now or free agency in a couple years. But there is a reason that certain guys come up in this conversation, and it has nothing to do with anybody wanting to get rid of these guys or yeah. not liking them or even necessarily thinking that you can do better. Like, I don't think that anyone is genuinely making the argument that they believe Victor Caratini could slot in and just be better than Wilson Contreras, right? But you have to find these options. You, you can't trade Daniel Descalso and get anything that's going to help the Chicago Cubs in 2020 or beyond. So you you narrow that list to the guys that it is, and you just have to look at like, okay, what is reasonable? What is feasible? What's actually going to help this group? And like you were talking about, Brendan, when you look at catcher in particular, that is one of those avenues where you might be able to find comparable, at all comparable, production and not totally tank the the overall value of the offense or the roster. So it's a tricky situation, and and I I don't know what to expect. I, I I would think you know we've been kind of been waiting for one of these like bigger core pieces to get traded for maybe Years. a couple off seasons now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the the rumblings have you know we've been hearing about Schwarber getting traded since he came up basically. So I sort of expect it to happen at some point, but just because we hear this stuff and, you know, just because Jeff Passan says that teams hear that Wilson Contreras is available, that doesn't mean anything is going to happen. We don't have to light the world on fire the minute that reading comes across the newswire. Like, I think for me, and I said this before, like, I want the team to be better as I have said already multiple times, like there's certain guys getting moved from this team that I will be very, very sad about, but I want the team to be better. And if at the end of the off season, at the end of the winter meetings, whenever they're, the, the roster is really taking shape, if I feel like they've done that, 
then I'm going to be happy with it. I'm going to be on board with it. If I feel like they haven't done that, and like you were talking about, Brendan, it looks like they're just cutting payroll and and punting 2020 or anything like that, we're going to be pissed off about it. And there will probably be another explicit episode about it. But (laughs) that's where I am with all of this stuff. I want the team to be better. And I think at some point, you have to just accept that there's only a certain number of ways to go about that. And and again, we've talked about this before too. I would love for Tom Ricketts to spend $400 million on this payroll. We can keep all our friends. We can get new friends that are great, like Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon and whoever else we want, right? But that's not going to happen. And it, it really doesn't prove particularly productive to demand it or pretend like it's going to happen because that's just not the world that we live in, whether we like it or not. And we don't like it, but that's just how it is. There's also, you know, the thing you have to remember, even if Tom was going to just say, don't trade anybody, Theo, we're going to open up the pocketbook, we're going to do whatever, players don't have to sign with the Cubs, right? I know that's kind of an unfathomable reality that someone would not want to join us uh, at Wrigley Field and, and, you know, be a part of the Chicago Cubs, but they can make the best roster, uh, the best offer, excuse me, and someone can choose to go somewhere else, right? So that's also something you have to consider. Like, you can't just rely on, oh, we're just going to go get Anthony Rendon. What if Anthony Rendon doesn't want to play here, right? Yeah. Like, you got you to gotta factor some of these things in, that this is a, there's other teams competing. Everybody's trying to accomplish the same goal. So it's it's a very nuanced situation, and, and I think where I land is, you just have to accept that some of these guys make more sense for this, whether it be financially, contract-wise, age-wise, the value to the Cubs versus what they might get in return or their value to somebody else. And you just have to kind of accept that that's the reality. And like, look, if, if Wilson Contreras is your favorite player, I I totally get why this is a really sucky situation. And it's been a, a bad couple weeks of this offseason because he's kind of been with Bryant as maybe that most predominant name in these conversations. So I get it. But the reality is the reality. And and I think that at some point, we just kind of have to accept that. And again, hope that the team is in a better place when they take the field in 2020 than they were in 2019. I think that's all we can do. In other aspects to Contreras's trade argument, which, you know, for other teams, they could be using the same argument against the Cubs. But I think it does paint a picture of why the Cubs would even want to consider trading Contreras as well. Contreras has never received more than 550 plate appearances in any season in his career. He's been hurt with a pretty, you know, mildly to borderline severe hamstring injury two of the last three seasons. He's going to be 28 years old. His arbitration is escalating. In the Cubs, we know their defensive capabilities behind the dish does not start and end with Contreras. Victor Caratini was a top 25% framer last year. Contreras was the second worst all the way up until July. He made some adjustments, and then he became roughly a league average framer for the last two months of the season. Whether that's sustainable or not is to be determined. But the point is, Contreras, he's not, and I, I wanted just like, you know, be very careful when I say this, 
he he really is not in the same tier as someone like a Chris Bryant or a Javi Baez in that because if you remove Bryant and you remove Javi Baez, the Cubs don't have a capable backup or a capable solution, whether through free agency or, or even within the team, like they do with Contreras. If Caratini, if he's a starter on opening day, I will be a little bit surprised, but I do think there's a, a level of confidence in Vic's ability based on how he played last year. And you have to ask yourself the question, too, with, with Contreras, He's going to be 28. He's never had over 550 plate appearances. He's coming off uh, a season two years ago where his WRC Plus was exactly league average with some of the worst catching defensive numbers in the league. How likely is it that Contreras continues to put up very good offensive seasons in a 500-plus plate appearance sample? Corey, he's never done that. Ever. He's never had a WRC plus over 100 in a plate appearance sample greater than 430 plate appearances. It's a fair question to ask. And again, when we look at the holes on this roster, you create a massive hole by trading away Chris Bryant without filling a guy with a seven war potential right away. You trade away Contreras, yes, you may lose the best offensive catcher bat in the league, but you look at else what a catcher brings, Caratini is a quality framer. Framing will be part of this league for the next two years probably, even though they're testing uh, the robo-umpires in minor leagues, but framing's here to stay for the next two years, yeah. and the free agent market you know, if they end up trading Contreras, if they do go for someone like a Yasmani Grandal, yeah, they'll be paying more for Grandal, but you know what? It's very expensive to go out and try to sign someone like even a Moustakis or even someone like a Nick Castellanos, both of whom could be making $15 million at the minimum for multiple years. Maybe it makes more sense to trade Contreras to someone like the Twins for a guy who's on the same arbitration level, like a Kapler, for example, for the Twins. I'm not throwing out hypotheticals, but... The point being is you can diversify your roster and mitigate the risk that is associated with Contreras and be better right away. It may cost you maybe $5 million more in 2020, but that's probably a bonus to extend your window. So I, I do think it's a very important line to cross when we talk about Chris Bryant and we talk about Wilson Contreras. I love Wilson Contreras. The guy's energy is insane. I, I mean, I think I speak for most fans who genuinely enjoy when he's going crazy after a big inning. It's, it's, it's contagious to watch, but he is not as valuable as a commodity as most of the other guys right now in the core, including Bryant, including Javi. And if we do away with Wilson Contreras, it will suck. But I do think there is a legit, realistic possibility that the Cubs can can accomplish what they want in 2020 by dealing with Contreras. And it sucks to say that if you're a Contreras fan, like you said, Corey, maybe you're having the suckiest few weeks. But this is the nature of the situation. We've been put in the situation with some of these poor free agent signings, some of these poor trades. And unfortunately, we're at this point, but that's all behind us. You got to move on. You got to try to make this roster better. And starting at Contreras may make the most sense. Right. And I, and look, like I, I think I've said this before, but like framing and the fact that umpires have the effect on the game that they do is easily one of the dumbest things in all of sports. Like it's so dumb, the, the amount of bad calls and just 
uh, atrocious umpiring that we see just constantly ruining these like games. What, like eight percent of calls per game are like so dumb, wrong. Like, yeah, terrible. I, so trust me, this is no defense of the fact that this exists, but it exists. It's the rules of the game, and especially with the staff that the Cubs have at the moment, framing is very important. Framing is very important to someone like John Lester and Jose Quintana, guys who don't throw very hard, who like to live on those edges. And the difference between John Lester getting calls on the edge of the zone versus having to come more over the middle of the plate is a big deal. Same with someone like Kyle Hendricks, right? They have a staff that is probably more affected by bad umpiring and sometimes to their benefit, right? John gets those outside edges all the time. So I'm acknowledging it goes both ways. But they have a staff that is really affected by that because they need those precise edges when they're hitting them. But I, I just want to finish this particular conversation. I, I kept alluding to uh, Brett's article, and I, I just want to finish by by reading the, the last paragraph or so uh, that he wrote because I think it just sort of sums it up. And he, he says, quote, I can acknowledge that building the best team not only means spending money, but it also means you've got to have impact-controlled talent, not necessarily because of the financial reason, but because that's simply the reality of having access to those players in the first place, alluding to the fact that those guys don't become free agents. And trading a guy like Contreras, who is only in the first year of arbitration and doesn't make a ton of money anyway, could theoretically get you some nice pieces on that front. It's less about the money and more about maximizing young talent at various spots on the roster. So uh, right. a very nice write-up from Brett at Bleacher Nation, like I said, and that's kind of where it is. So, uh, you know, again, like, I trust me, I understand where Wilson is in offensive ranks and all that. I love the guy. And I'm not even necessarily advocating for them doing this, but I do understand why certain guys end up at the forefront of these conversations versus others. It's why Kyle Schwarber was the more predominant name going back to like 2015 and 2016. There's a reason why he was the one that was, you know, showing up the most in these conversations versus some of these other guys. It it's it, it changes all the time when these guys value change, when their performance change, etc. So this is where we are in this particular offseason and these are the names that we are hearing whether we like it or not. So that's where we are. Uh, it will be an interesting offseason to continue following. Again, uh, the GM meetings getting underway. Nothing usually happens with that, uh, so I wouldn't expect any major news. But as we stated, uh, there are anything can go on. So any of these guys, whether it's Strasburg, Cole, Rendon, anybody, they can decide to sign somewhere today if they felt like it. Uh, So we will just have to see what anybody decides. And just for reference, the uh, winter meetings, the the, the kind of annual gathering that certainly gets more attention than the GM meetings, uh, is December 8th through 12th in San Diego this year. So that is coming up in, uh, what, a little under a month. So that, you know, usually some stuff goes on there. Maybe things heat up a little bit around that time. But we will uh, keep an eye on everything as it goes forward. It's uh, going to be an interesting offseason. Like we said, we've seen the coaching staff take a little more shape. We've seen some changes and some shakeup in the front office. So the next area is those players on the field. And we will see 
ultimately uh, what the Cubs are looking like as we start to get towards spring training and ultimately into the 2020 season. But Brendan, I, I want to finish on a, a lighter note just by saying that I did get to run around Wrigley Field uh, for season ticket holder family day over the weekend. Uh, and it was... It was, yeah, they shouldn't let me in the building, right. but uh, I, I was I was on good behavior, I think. But it's just uh, very nice to be back in that building. I miss that place a lot, uh, and I, I did, I, I posted, the, you know, this was posted on Twitter, I know, uh, much to the chagrin of Brendan, but I did meet Clark the Cub for, I believe, the first time. <laughs> um, I don't know how you felt about that, Brendan, as the, the resident How was your interaction with them? See, my interactions with Clark are always positive. I, I, I have no shame saying this, but he is the best prospect in Major League Baseball, one of the most uh, subtle prospects in a way that he never interrupts the games. I appreciate that. He knows— You, you mean mascot. Yeah, what did I say? You're saying prospect. Oh, prospect. Maybe he is a prospect. He does it's a have Freudian a good arm. slip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does have a pretty good arm. He plays catch with Zobris before the games. But anyway, yeah, like you know, Clark and I go way back. I was one of the earliest supporters of Clark. Great for the kids, and the fact that he's never on the dugouts jumping around like Baxter, that raccoon they have in Arizona, or that weird Philly green thing. I, you know, some of you guys, I don't think there was any Philly fans here, but you know what I mean. You know. It's just not overwhelming, domineering of a mascot. So I, I'm glad that you finally met Clark. Yeah, I thought we had a nice interaction. He, uh, as you might know, doesn't speak, so we did not have he much speaks of a conversation. To me, we have like you know nonverbal communication, but we speak. You know, and I, I, you know, a little, I felt a little uncomfortable. You know, he again, you know, as always, isn't wearing any pants, um, which is a choice. Uh, but it's it's fine. But he was very nice. He was gracious enough to to stop for a picture like that I sent to you, Brendan. Um, but yeah, it was just good to be back at at Wrigley Field. I miss that place. Um, and it's you know you, you you get in there now, especially with the weather in Chicago. The ivy is all gone. It's it's very drab inside there. Is and it the, uh, uh, is a trophy still shiny though, at least. Yes, they okay. did let us uh, yeah. near the. It was encased, but it, right. we were near the trophy. Just making uh, sure which, that it's still shiny. You know, it's 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 three years old now, so you know. Yes, it it's in mint condition. Yeah, Beautiful. so Love that it. that was looking good. Um, but you know, even in a tumultuous off season, you you get near Wrigley Field and immediately, uh, you know, as usual, I'm ready to throw out a 120 win projection for the 2020 Cubs. I don't even care. I don't even care who's on the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just you, you see that marquee, you look around Wrigley Field, and you're ready to go. So, um, unfortunately, we still have to trudge through months of these awful rumors and discussions and panic and excitement, what what have you. I mean, we really uh, but only we'll, have two months, though. Once mid-January hits, some of the guys start to report. You start seeing mm-hmm. some new things. So, you know, get through yeah, these once, next uh, once Once we get to around, you know— Early January, we'll start getting that Hayward swing footage, and we can, uh, yeah, we'll have uh, we can, we can get the oh, yeah. get get twenty twenty <laughs> underway. Uh, An annual tradition, you know. no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it's it's all just to say that uh, you know I'm I'm ready to be back in it, uh, even as as painful as twenty nineteen was. It takes about five seconds for me to you know get ready for the next season and, and be ready to do it all over again. Uh, um, it's it it really is like that that Michael Scott clip from The Office. I'm I'm ready, ready to get to hurt again, uh, as always. <laughs> so. 
that's uh, what we got. That is what has gone on in the Cubs world, uh, and we will keep on it. So I I think we're going to stick to this once a week thing, um, unless you want to hear us break down the same rumors over and over again, which Theo Theo asked us nicely not to do that. So we're going to hysteria on this podcast. No, yeah, we're going to listen to our president and not do that, uh, not try to cause any mass hysteria. but we will jump on, of course, if anything significant happens, we will jump on right away. And as usual, we will keep you guys in the loop as far as any scheduling decisions we are considering. But other than that, uh, we always appreciate you guys listening, especially in the off season when there is not much going on. I can't imagine many of you were like, man, I can't wait to hear the guys talk about Andy Green. Uh, but, but we appreciate you guys listening nonetheless. And we will talk to you guys soon. So whether we are combing through rumors or getting ready for an actual baseball game, we always end this podcast by saying, Go Cubs. Did you know Geico's now offering an extra 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies? That's 15% on top of what Geico could already save you. So what are you waiting for? Your baby to let you sleep in? <laughs> what? We could sleep in another half hour? Thanks, sweetheart. And you'll change yourself, too? There's never been a better time to switch to GEICO. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Limitations apply. Visit GEICO.com for details. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.